Thank you, Emmanuel. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you today. Um, Silas mentioned just a moment ago about Christmas. Just a early reminder, well it's not too early, but on Sunday the 11th of December we have a carol service here at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. There won't be a morning service, but it will be 5 o'clock in the afternoon. We had a great time last year. It's an opportunity to invite friends and family. So will you keep that date in mind? Put it in your diary. Think about friends and family that you can invite for the 11th of December, 5 p.m. We're going to gather here and have a great time celebrating the wonderful story of the birth of Jesus through song and drama and the children will be taking part in scripture readings. So it will be a special evening. Please make sure that you're with us and do your very best to welcome friends and family to that occasion. Great. We've had a significant morning together and I want to share with you something that I'm simply entitling Servant-Hearted Leadership. A sales manager was berating his staff for the poor performance that they had turned in over the previous six months. The sales figures were absolutely dismal. And he called all his sales team in and he said to them, I've just about had enough of poor performance and excuses. If you can't do the job, then perhaps there are other salespeople out there who would jump at the opportunity to sell the worthy products that you are privileged to represent. And then pointing to a new recruit to the team who had been a former football player, he said to them, if a football team isn't winning, what happens? The players are replaced, isn't that right? And there was silence in the room for a while. And then the new recruit, who was a former footballer, he said, well, actually, sir, if the whole team are having trouble, we usually get a new manager. Southampton football team have just done that. The jury's out as to how well they're going to perform. But that happens. The manager doesn't kick a single ball. But if the team are not doing any good, sack the manager and get a new one. John Maxwell said something really important when he said, everything rises and falls on leadership. And we've had a significant moment this morning here in this church, just setting some new guys into the responsibility of leadership And that's always a very important moment in any church because the life of any church is always impacted by leaders. And if you have a leaderless church, then you have a rudderless church that will lack vision and direction. So leadership is very, very important. And Jesus, when we look at the scriptures, always led by example. That's the essence of true leadership. And on one occasion, the disciples had been arguing with each other who was the greatest. They were normal kind of people, like you and me. And I guess if you'd been Jesus and you had to pick 12 disciples, you wouldn't have picked any of the 12 that Jesus picked. But he didn't pick them because of what they were. He picked them because of what they would become. 
And Sanjay spoke this morning about potential. That's what God is interested in every single one. He's in us. He sees what we can become through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the disciples were having a big argument. Who should be the greatest? And Jesus called them together, and this is what he said. Whoever wants to be first must take the last place and be the servant of all. That is so counter-culture, isn't it? And Jesus also said in another place, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus practiced what he preached. He led by example. He actually did what he taught us and his disciples to do. How many of you have heard of Bear Grylls? Great adventurer. This was something that he said not so long ago. He said this, the power of great leadership is beyond measure and at the heart of all leadership, it is found in leading by example. Example in terms of your ethics, your faith, your care and your courage. Now we all carry some responsibility for leadership. Because leadership is ultimately about influence. And you and I are called to influence others concerning the person of Jesus Christ. That's what our mission is. And so we all carry a leadership responsibility to influence others in the ways of the love and the truth that we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want us to consider some of the qualities of servant-hearted leadership. And I want you to turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Familiar passage. I'll quickly just read a few verses out of this. Philippians 2. Paul writes this from prison. But this is what he says from verse 1. He says, If there's any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit... Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a humble human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the place of highest honour and gave him a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isn't that exciting? But he's telling us here, take notice of the attitude that Jesus had in serving the body of Christ and the world in which you live. So Paul gives us this supreme example of what servant leadership is all about in the attitude and behavior of Jesus. 
Every husband. How many of you are husbands here? Okay, if you're not sure, your wife will give you a nudge. Every husband carries the responsibility to lovingly lead his wife. We might live in a society today that tries to suggest otherwise, but that's the biblical truth. Every husband carries the leadership responsibility to lovingly lead his wife. Every father carries the responsibility to lead his family. Every single parent carries the responsibility to lead his or her children to adulthood. Every manager is paid to lead his or her workforce. Every teacher has a role of leading his or her class towards good education. Every prime minister is elected to lead a nation, etc., etc. We see it in all areas of life. Leadership is portrayed in so many ways. And leadership stands or falls on attitude. That's why Paul says your attitude should be the same as that which Jesus had and displayed. John Maxwell again, he says this, great leaders understand that the right attitude will set the right atmosphere which enables the right response from others. So let's just look at Philippians chapter 2 just for a few moments. A few key things I want to bring to our attention. The first thing that is incredibly important is relational unity. Because Paul says here in verse 3, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Do you know a good attitude will promote unity? That's why what Pam said this morning was so important. When we welcome people here, that tells them something before they barely set their foot in the door. It's all about attitude. A bad attitude destroys unity. Good leadership will foster and facilitate unity. And Paul uses, in another place, in Corinthians, the analogy of the human body to teach us about the importance of the unity across the church. He tells us how the human body works, and he puts it like this. He says, the body has many parts. And then he says, one part of the body can't say to another part, I don't need you. And how many of you got up this morning and said to one of your legs, I don't need you? You didn't. We don't don't behave like that. We know that every single part of our body needs the other part. So one part can't say to another, I don't need you. Our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. So it is with the church. And this makes for harmony among the members. So that all the members care for each other. Leadership carries the responsibility to care for the body to ensure that the body, the church, grows and flourishes, is healthy and strong. And this happens in an environment of unity and grace. You know that disunity divides and destroys churches. Probably some of you have been in that kind of a situation. It's awful. And Paul speaks also in Ephesians about the gift ministries that are given to the church, the apostle the prophet, 
the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. Peter has a clear prophetic gift and an apostolic gift. We see it functioning. We are blessed by it. Sanjay has a pastoral gift. And we recognize and value that. I know that I have a, a teaching apostolic gift. Janet has a, has a pastoral teaching gift. We can recognize the gifts that God, and God gives these gifts. Why? Paul tells us. So that God's people would learn to serve and his body would go strong, grow strong. Then we will continue until we are united in faith and by our understanding of the Son of God. Then we will be mature just as Christ is and we will be completely like him. How many of you want to be like Jesus? A couple of you do. Well, that's what the purpose of leadership and the gift ministries to the church is all about. To equip us so that we become like Jesus. You see, Satan was ejected from heaven because he tried to create disunity. And he tried the same thing in the Garden of Eden and he disunited Adam and Eve from God. His quest has always been disunity because Satan knows divided we fall and more Christians have been damaged by splits in churches than anything else. I love what Joni Erickson said. Believers are never told to become one we already are. We're expected to act like it. So our relational unity is incredibly important. And as we continue to dwell in unity together, that's the place where the blessing of God can fall and the church will flourish and grow. And leadership is given to help us continue to dwell in unity together. But something else that Paul talks about is this. It's this fact that we are to also experience and display personal humility. He says, be humble. Thinking of others better than yourselves. And in verse 7 of Philippians 2, Paul says, Jesus took the humble position of a slave. You see, the way up in God's kingdom is always down. God resists the proud, but he welcomes the humble. And servant leadership is about being humble. It's about Jesus getting all the praise. It's about Jesus getting all the glory. It's never about self-promotion. And I read something a while ago by Christy Wimber. She is the daughter-in-law of the late John Wimber, who was the founder of the Vineyard movement of churches. She commented on recent failures in church leadership. Big churches had had leaders that have failed. And she said this, perhaps more exposure will force the church to take men and women down from pedestals they were never meant to stand on. She says the embarrassing self-promotion, the worship of leaders, 
the worship of worship leaders. Perhaps much needs to crumble so Jesus can get again to be the main thing. We live in a culture now where leaders in big churches become celebrities. That's never what God wanted. We run after famous names. And the media and the way our culture runs, it promotes people. But when you look in the scripture, the kind of leadership that Jesus displayed and the kind of leaders that he wants for his church are men and women who lead from a servant heart. Who take the lowest position of all. Who are not out to promote themselves. Who are not out to become famous. Who are not out to get a big name. But they're men and women who say, I want to be like Jesus. He humbled himself and took the position of a slave. You see, in biblical times, the servant who washed your feet was the lowest servant in the house. And in biblical times, it was necessary to wash people's feet when they came into your home because they stank. They didn't have nice, clean cars like we have. You would walk on a road and you would have to avoid all manner of dung that was scattered along the road from donkeys to camels to cattle. It was all there. So when you welcome someone into your home, you would have a servant who would wash the muck off of the people's feet because you didn't want that stink coming into your house when you sat down to eat your food. And it was the lowest servant of the house who had the job of washing feet. Emmanuel read to us that Jesus took that very position and he washed his disciples' feet. There probably would have been a servant in that house who was assigned that job, but I imagine Jesus probably said to that servant, take the afternoon off. It's all right. I'll do your job for you today. And the disciples were embarrassed. And actually Peter said, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. Oh, no, no, you're far too important to do that. But Jesus did it and he said, now that I have given you an example to do the same. Leadership is about walking humbly amongst the people of God. True humility doesn't seek status, position or power. It doesn't boast of its Facebook friends or its Twitter followers or its website hits. Humility doesn't present a false image or an airbrushed makeover. True humility is dying to self and living for the good of others. And Paul puts it so lovely. This is the Message Bible. When the time came, Jesus set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. 
He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. And I read the other day something by Nicky Gumbel and this was really hits home. If service is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. So true. Just to wrap this up this morning, one last thing out of Philippians 2, and it's simply this, that you see exceptional generosity. Because Paul says, don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. When Jesus got to that house with the disciples, he didn't arrive and think, who's going to wash my feet? He actually thought, I'm going to wash your feet today. He looked out for their interests. That's generosity of spirit. Jesus willingly gave his life away. And you know in John's gospel he says this, that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. That word good in the Greek literally means that which is intrinsically good. There's nothing bad about it whatsoever. Paul says in in Timothy, he says, everything God created is good. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and just say, you are so good. Because you are a creation of God. Everything that God created is good, says the scriptures. 1 Timothy 4.4. And Paul also says, hold on to that which is good. You see, when God created the universe, at the end of each day of creation, God says, it was good. It was good. And do you know what he said when he made man? It's very good. I've really done well today. So you are very good good and Jesus says I am the good shepherd nothing bad nothing evil nothing wrong intrinsically good but then that word shepherd in the Greek is a beautiful word poimen and it literally speaks of one who tends who leads who guides who cherishes who feeds and protects the flock And Jesus used that word to illustrate the primary responsibility of leadership. See, he wasn't only the good shepherd, he was the generous shepherd. Gave his life away in every sense for the good of the sheep. Hiling shepherds don't do that. They're out for what they can get. But a true shepherd is always out for what he or she can give and we've set today some good leaders in this house people who will serve us who will encourage us who will lead us into the future fruitfulness that God has for this church but there's a word of warning that comes to all of us from Hebrews and it simply says this obey your spiritual leaders do what they say they work to watch over your souls because they're accountable to God Give them reason to do it with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Just over a week ago, 
We live in Southampton. We're very near to Southampton Water, where it flows into the Solent and the many big ships pass up and down. And just over a week ago, we were there, and a flock of Canadian geese had just flown in from Russia. Two and a half thousand miles, these wonderful geese. And they just arrived, and there was an official bird watcher there, and I had a chat, and he was saying, yeah, we've got rich feeding grounds along this part of the coast. And they arrive every winter to feed. Fascinating birds, flying two and a half thousand miles. And when they fly, you will have noticed that they fly in the V formation. And scientists have researched this and found it's really interesting because the reason why they fly in the V formation, because as they flap their wings, the way the air flows gives an additional uplift to the following bird. And they say it increases their ability to fly by over 70%. So they can actually fly two and a half thousand miles fairly effortlessly without being exhausted and half dead at the end of it because of the incredible support and the aerodynamic that takes place in the V formation. It is amazing. But they've also said that there is something else that happens. As they fly, they honk. You hear them honking. And they believe that that honking is to encourage the lead bird. Keep going. We're with you. Keep flapping. We're flying behind you. And when the lead bird gets a bit tired, he or she drops back and another one takes on the role. And they keep honking and honking. Keep going. Keep going. We'll make it. And scientists learned some fascinating facts about the Canadian geese and other geese that you could apply to leadership. I'll leave you with this one thought. Always be honking encouragement at your leaders. They need it. But make sure your honking is understandable. Because leadership is about being out in front. And when somebody is leading well, you can follow them. You're confident. He or she is going somewhere. I can believe in where they're leading. So honk every so often. You might need to honk a text. You might need to honk a card. You might need to honk a box of chocolates or a bottle of wine. But let's be a church that models servant-hearted leadership and sees Jesus glorified in everything we say and do. God bless you.